To Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, discuss young adult literature. Indeed. We asked you guys for recommendations for a new tagline and you did not respond. So we're just going to keep this one because apparently you all love it. Yeah. (laughs) There was an outcry of sorrow when we suggested getting rid of YA fiction from the past, present, and future. So we're keeping it. Um, This week, I read the book. As you may or may not know, depending how closely you're paying attention to our social media, we're doing kind of apocalypsy books for July. So the book I read today is How I Live Now by Meg Rossoff. Which is about World War III Mm. and the survival of the outbreak. I wonder why that would resonate with anyone in these current peaceful times that we're living in. What's your history of this book, though? Okay, so I have read this book. Mm -hmm. I read this book many years ago. And I'm going to be honest with you, listener. I didn't love it. I did not love this book. And I will tell you why. There is incest in this book. We should probably put a content warning in that in here. There is incest in this book. It is between characters of similar ages. There is no established power dynamic. And it is consensual on both sides. But it is incest. They are cousins. Yeah. And like, okay, they weren't raised together or anything. It's literally like two strangers meeting. But they are meeting in the context of one girl is going to live with her aunt because her parents can't deal with her. But then, of course, World War Three breaks out. I actually don't remember much else about the book other than the incest and disliking that. Mm, fair enough. And um, Saoirse Ronan made a movie. Yeah, that was... And I think about that every day. <laughs> You've got a little locket you carry around with you, but when you open it, it's not even a picture. It just says, Saoirse Ronan did an incest movie. I... I think about that regularly. If you go back in my social media tweets, it's there because I talk about it. I just, every so often I'm like, there was a book in which cousins loved each other romantically and sexually and Saoirse Ronan signed on to make that a movie. This is so fun to me because we have been friends for four years (laughs) And you have never mentioned this to me before in that time. <laughs> I think about it a lot. I also read this book many years ago and didn't have a huge impact on me. I also read Just In Case, also by Meg Rossoff. And my vague memories of both of them was that they had kind of magic realism elements, but in like the same white person way that the same way Cecilia Hearn does magical realism. Magical realism as a genre is also defined by a certain amount of Central American anti-colonial resistance. But I don't know shit. So this is just like there is some magic stuff, but it's so enmeshed into how the world is that it isn't really comment worthy for the people in it. And that was my main memory. And I mostly decided to read it for the pod because, well, one, it was suitable for the theme. Also, Kira made a really interesting face when I said I was going to do it. And I 
of my horror experience of cousins fancying each other. Mm -hmm. It's bad. It is. Um... You were upset last week at the idea of two people who grew up together fancying each other. Yeah. And now you're totally cool with cousins. I'd never said I was cool with cousins. Yeah, but you haven't said you're not. And it's been three minutes. The thing is that the Westermark effect is a thing. I studied psychology, as I mentioned, every single episode. I did a project on the predictors of human attraction. The Westermark effect is a form of negative sexual imprinting that happens in humans. When you were raised with someone below the age of six, you will not see that person sexually. Normally, you won't. Um, they've done many studies on like children raised in group homes, like in kibbutz, in Israel, any kind of collectivized child rearing. And the only people in those places who end up like marrying or having serious relationships with each other are ones who didn't interact before the age of six. They either didn't live together or like a lot of these places are segregated by gender and you wouldn't actually hang out with each other. So in that way, like, because I understand the the formula, I'm like, well, these these people can't help it. It sucks for them, but like, I'm liberal. <laughs> marriage equality for cousins. We fucking got it, dude. <laughs> also, the I also live with two geneticists, and they have told me about like the risks of cousin marriage for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> it's like less for second cousins or first cousins than it is for the other way around. It's less for first cousins than it is for second cousins. That's like it. second cousin marriage is not uncommon, but. It, it has higher genetic risks than first cousin marriage for complex genetic reasons I don't understand. Also, once you get out to your fourth cousin, you have the exact same genetic similarity as you do with a normal, unrelated member of your population. So mm. it's literally nothing. All the same, when I was in secondary school, a lad I knew did shift his cousin and we did make fun of him for it for a full five years yeah neither of Don't. them knew they were cousins oh my they god just, the country <laughs> they met in car town which was our local teen disco and shifted and then everyone was like connor <laughs> and he did not live it down <laughs> author talk meg rossoff is an american from boston she attended harvard and then she you know the song by pulp called Common People. Yeah. Yeah, she then went to study sculpture at St. Martin's College in London for a while. Because of the song? That's the opening line. She came from Greece, she had a thirst for knowledge. She studied sculpture at St. Martin's College where I got her eye. No? No. Okay. Well, it is the thing, and I was very amused when I saw that St. Martin's College was mentioned in this. Meg Rossoff is 62, she lived between the UK and the US until 1989, when at age 32, she settled in London. She's been living there since. She worked in advertising. She wrote this book, which was her first book in 2004. It won the Michael L. Prince Award, Ooh. which We Are Okay also won. It's a very prestigious award for yeah. American YA literature. Since then, she's written eight novels, two middle grade books and some picture books as well. I think one nonfiction that's just like a guide to London. 
This book also won the Guardian's Children's Fiction Award, the Branford Boise Award. So it was very well got. It was very well got. Mm -hmm. If you want your literature to be well got, include some cousin sass. I'm sorry, I can't move on. I can't move on. Do you remember Letterland? Yeah, Kissing Cousins. Yeah, yeah. I, they've, they've changed that now. Yes, they have. What's it? It's X-ray or something. Letterland was a learning device for primary school age children in Ireland. The symbol for X was Kissing Cousins. And they were cousins and they were kissing. Yeah. Unnoticeable by tiny children, but disturbing as you age. Yeah. <laughs> As you referenced earlier, there is a movie adaption of this book that was made in Canada in 2013, starring Saoirse Ronan. There's also a radio adaption. Oh, I haven't heard the radio adaption. Yeah, it is from 2007, and it is also starring Saoirse Ronan. Well, if you got a good gig. <laughs> so the book. Tell me about this book. This book opens with... Daisy, our protagonist, who is 15 years old and she's a New Yorker, landing at an airport in the UK. Mm -hmm. She is coming to live with her aunt Penn, who is her mother's sister, because her mother died in childbirth and her father has recently, ish, remarried and her stepmother is pregnant and Daisy has not coped very well with any of these changes. She has been mentally quite ill and she's been very difficult to deal with. And they're kind of just shipping her off to someone else to deal with. There's a new baby coming. Get rid of the dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she develops anorexia and she spends the, a lot of this book with anorexia. What's interesting about her anorexia is that it isn't mediated by, like, body issues. Mm -hmm. It seems to be about fear of poisoning. So, first of all, off in the beginning, like, she tells us about this afterwards, she stops eating anything her stepmother prepares because she's worried about getting poisoned by her. Okay. And then she stops eating in general because... She's realised she likes the feeling of being hungry and she likes how much people freak out about it and it's a way she can establish control. So she has an eating disorder mm -hmm. and I think that's a significant reason why they decide to send her away because it's just like, oh, classic Upper East Side posh New York Classic girl. Classic attention-seeking behaviour. Let's not send her to a medical facility and get her psychological help. Let's just ship her to England. I think she has had a lot of psychological help. Okay. But it just doesn't really work. And I, I think... I don't know how realistic and how well-written this is. Parts of it strike me as very realistic because I can see... Like, these issues are often very difficult to treat, particularly when it's about a context and the control in that context and changing the context can help. And also I'd say a huge amount of the eating disorder treatment aimed at teenage girls is aimed at body issues. Mm. So the fact that her eating disorder isn't is focused on that stuff. I mean, obviously a lot of it comes down to control if you like really get into it, but she just doesn't have a lot of thoughts about her body. So I can see the treatment like not really working because it's focused on the wrong aspects. Yeah, okay. She arrives in England. 
and she's looking for her aunt Pen, who she's never met. So what she's looking for is someone who looks kind of like her mam but older. What um, she finds is a fourteen-year-old boy called Edmund. <laughs> hey, Edmund. So she's like waiting at the airfield, and she's like waiting at the arrival lounge, I guess. And it just thins out until it's just this boy, who's described as looking like he cut his hair with a hatchet in the dead of night, but otherwise looking like a mutt in a pound who's just kind of hoping that you'll bring him home, but in a kind of dignified way where he knows no one else has brought him home before, but maybe you'll be the one. That is a horrifying description of a human being. And he's 14. (laughs) I mean, it's also like every description of a 14-year-old. And he drove himself here. <laughs> That's not legal. Yeah. So Daisy's like, is your mom waiting in the car? And he's like, no, she's working. It's not worth anyone's life to disturb her when she's working. So no one else seemed like they wanted to go to the airport. So I just took the Jeep and drove. And this is, okay. an Im- this is our first important insight into the family dynamics she's about to enter. Okay, who's in the family? Okay, so there's Aunt Pen, mm-hmm. who is her mother's sister. And there is no father mentioned. There are the four children, who are Osbert, who's 16. There's Isaac and Edmund, who are twins, and they're 14. And there's Piper, who's nine. Okay. And the dynamic is, fend for yourself, don't disturb mom? No, the dynamic is chaos. Okay, cool. So, so what I said. <laughs> so as well as this, they have like a whole lot of dogs and chickens and goats and stuff who are introduced almost as characters and as much part of the family as the human members. Edmund drives Daisy home. He smokes as well. So this 14 year old is driving on a motorway? Yeah. Because they're at an airport. It's not like it's going to be all back roads. It's actually real fun because they get to the Jeep and they put their bags in and he like drives over a ditch down a side way. And like he goes onto the motorway extremely illegally, like by driving over a field. And then he's just casually like, can you believe they want to charge like 10 euro for parking or like, you know, 10 pound. And it's real fun. I'm mostly concerned because you're the person reading this book. And any book that you read with a car in it has a car crash. There's no car crash, but someone does get shot at a, a checkpoint while they're in a car. <laughs> if that counts. Let's just go with no car crash. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, so the interesting thing about this family as well is they've got various levels of being psychic. Okay, so that is not a thing I remember from reading the book. No. So Edmund Mm -hmm. has this. He's kind of able to communicate mentally with people. I've highlighted and like turned down corners anytime they like mention his powers to see if we can get a clearer picture. And it's just, it's it's posed as if it's just him listening really good. Like Like, he's just very empathetic for people. Yeah. He can hear people thinking. Osbert 
doesn't seem to have psychic powers. This is the 16-year-old. Right. Daisy notes that he's the only one of them who reminds her of the people she meets in New York. So these people are all really like immediately welcoming and also just so fucking weird. Mm-hmm. So she puts on her best like passive New Yorker, like I've seen it all face and pretends that she's not freaked out, but half of them can read her mind. So it works to a varying degree. And she notes that Osbert's the only one who seems to like care about like, oh, how people think of me and judging people and like not caring as much. And then he doesn't seem to have psychic powers. Okay. So it's so that could probably affect like if you know what people are thinking from like a young age, you can just be like, Everyone's only thinking about themselves all the time, so I don't need to worry about what yeah. they're thinking about me. If you don't have that Yeah. Especially in a family of people who do. And also if you're like the odd one in your family, but it's not... in terms of being the normal one, yeah. you become more aware of what other families are doing and how your family is not fitting that mold. But it's still wild to me because it's not commented on that he doesn't have psychic powers because it's not commented on that anyone else <laughs> does have psychic powers. And we don't know whether Aunt Pen has powers or not. She's not a major character in this book. But, like, we don't know. <laughs> and the, thi- the thing I was saying earlier about animals, like, they have all these animals at this farm and they're kind of members of the family. Because Isaac can absolutely talk to them. Isaac seems to have the same powers as Edmund. So they're mm-hmm. twins. But Isaac doesn't give a shit about people. Okay. He doesn't care about people at all they'll go to town and like they'll go to this shop and that shop and the other shop and at some point they'll lose Isaac and they'll like and then five hours later they'll be like maybe we should head home we should try find Isaac and they'll turn around and he's there okay because he's like well I didn't want to be involved in what you're doing but now we need to be together so I am back so he empathizes with animals a lot more Mm -hmm. Piper seems to have less psychic powers than the twins but she also is very good at communicating with animals overall it does just read as like you know those people who you talk to and they just seem so present with you yeah it's like that but also it's mind reading okay so i remember i do remember that daisy found edmund's really easy to get along with and that like he listened to her Mm -hmm. in a way no one had listened to her before but yeah, this psychic stuff either went over my head or didn't stick with me. It it might have gone over your head because it's just incorporated so fluidly mm-hmm. into the story. And so is the war stuff. Yeah, because we haven't even talked about the fact that this book is World War Three. Yeah, so... Yeah, like, on page 19, like, she first meets her Aunt Pen and, like... She's talking to her, like the aunt is like, I'm I'm so happy to have you here. We've wanted to meet you for so long. You're so important to us. Please know this is your home. We're so happy to have you here. I'm so sorry I'm going to be away next week. I'm doing a lecture in Oslo about the imminent threat of war. She's a lecturer and a peace broker and it's just a very normal thing that a lot of people are aware there's going to be a war soon. And Daisy says, I didn't spend much time thinking about the war because I was bored with everyone jabbering on 
about would there be one or wouldn't there and I happen to know that there wasn't anything we could do about it anyway so why even bring the subject up okay so Aunt Pen is directly involved in trying to avoid there being a war Daisy doesn't care she's apolitical and 15 this is her normal Mm. will there won't there is her normal I was trying to think of it in terms of like other YA books I know with war in them and my thought was obviously the Hunger Games trilogy Mm -hmm. and what's different about that is Katniss starts out obviously Katniss the protagonist if anyone doesn't know of this trilogy by Suzanne Collins she doesn't care very much because she's just trying to survive but then she becomes incorporated into like a central aspect of the war and it becomes very relevant to her life that never happens to Daisy so it continues to just be a thing that she kind of hears about and kind of decides to learn just a bit about so she can get by and survive. Katniss, in, in terms of comparisons, Katniss is integral in that like she becomes a symbol yeah. of the resistance. Whereas I'm pretty sure Daisy is just literally trying to survive. Yeah. Like, um, like she doesn't hold any... She has no power. She has no power within this universe. She doesn't have any negotiating power. She doesn't hold any like meaning in terms of like more than any human being just mm-hmm. generally yeah. being a citizen in a country that is being attacked. Her Americanness actually becomes relevant at a certain point. Um, we'll get to it, but most of this book is about her struggling to survive in Britain mm-hmm. and then there is a part two where we learn that all of part one was written after okay and yeah then she has to deal much more directly with the war her father brings her home and that's the most horrible thing he could possibly do to her but before that we have to get to the fact that war breaks out okay tell me about the breakout of war so Aunt Pen, like I said, has to go to Oslo for some peacekeeping talk. She leaves. Is there an adult? No. With So the uh, oldest is 16. Osbert is in charge and he takes this very seriously and he is in charge. No wonder he's worried about his family's standing in the community. Yeah, Osbert goes to school, unlike Isaac and Edmund and Piper, who were supposed to be homeschooled, which as far as I could tell, meant reading whatever books you happen to be interested in, and every once in a blue moon, having Aunt Penn say, have you learned any geography? And them saying yes. That is not an education (laughs) system. And if you are homeschooled, there are so many tests you have to do. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Do they do the state tests that prove that they're being taught things? Seems not. But, you know, to be aware, there is, you know, war. Yeah, but this is pre-war. Yeah. This is when bureaucracy is working. Mm. I, the thing about Isaac is, like, he can go days without saying a single word. And, like, in New York, he would be stuck in a straitjacket and, like, dangled over a tank full of educational consultants and remedial experts. But right here, he just... Like, exists yeah and yeah. does his own thing in a happy way which is an interesting commentary on you know it seems similar to people on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. where it's like it is a neurodiversity that is sometimes considered as disability because it impedes people's ability to 
function in the society we've created but then there's an argument to be had whether that means that there's something inherently wrong with this person or whether the society we have isn't built to serve people like that which it, it just seems to be a very in a very similar trend mm -hmm. so yeah like aunt pen goes to oslo and there's a little bit of like a oh and we didn't realize that this is where it would all start so pretty immediately a bomb goes off in london seven or seventy thousand people get killed says daisy because she doesn't give a shit also so you've just told me that she's writing this in the future yeah so maybe she just doesn't remember yeah and particularly when it's like this bomb went off and it was kind of the start of the war was it then that the 70,000 people died? Yeah. Or was it two weeks later, you know? Pretty immediately, all the airports get closed. So Aunt Pen can't get home. They keep secret the fact that they are living there on their own for as long as they can. Mm -hmm. But basically, things keep... Escalating. And unraveling. Okay. So, like, the first bomb goes off. It doesn't do much. They, they're sitting glued to their televisions and their radios. Then there's an occupation and there's food shortages, but someone's delivering them food. At the start, they're going to the village every day and they're queuing for half the day to get food. But also, it's May in the British countryside and they have a farm. So they're, they're okay. They're fine. Like, and they start, it's almost like a game at the beginning where like... Piper's like, oh, we'll go up to the lambing shed and we'll bring all this food. And they bring like a slab of chocolate and like a fruitcake in an airtight tin and a bunch of the eggs and stuff. And they sleep overnight in the lambing barn. And then they all quietly the next day are like, okay, we'll sleep in our beds because that was really itchy. <laughs> so they're kind of play acting and they're really left on their own. And it's like this famous five kind of, we are all having this amazing freedom but Osbert is like glued to the TV and then when the TV stops working, glued to the radio because he and him and his friends go down to the pub and talk about espionage. And try to like figure it all out like grown-ups as yeah. opposed to being like, we're unsupervised and yeah. we can do anything we want in this cool new adventure. Because mm. none of it is real. The reality of it doesn't hit us because we are children. And as well, it's been five years of people talking about the war so it's mm. just happening the war is happening yeah and there probably would have been like bombs and stuff before like not to this mm -hmm. not to this level but in the same way that like in our current universe that mm. we exist in like bombs happen yeah and it's really scary and attacks happen and it's really scary and then a couple of days later that just happened Things happen like a bomb goes off in London and my mother who lives in the countryside rings me who lives in Dublin, a different city, the next yeah. island over. Like, are you okay? It's happening and it's immediate, but it's not happening right here. Yeah. Like for them. And so that brings an unreality to it. Like, and obviously things have escalated to the point where like there is food shortages mm -hmm. and that is affecting mm -hmm. them. But at the same time, that's just a game. Yeah. And it's not really affecting them because they have food. 
it's yeah. like all these horrible things are happening that like will have terrible impacts on other people but aren't affecting them too much another thing this book goes into it seems like a very realistic portrayal of war the doctor comes around and is mm-hmm. like do you guys have any like spare medications you don't need and they're like what and he's like yeah i am the local doctor here a lot of the medical supplies and staff has been sequestered for hospitals in the big city for people dealing with bombings and threats and it's just getting to the point where like a kid will die of breaking a bone because the bone will go through the skin and there will be no sanitary materials to set it and we'll do our best but then he'll have an infection and we just have to hope he can fight it off because we've no antibiotics like people are dying in childbirth like old people are dying of the cold and flu do you have any aspirin yeah and so they like rustle up some like paracetamol and stuff and send them on their way and that's the thing they just don't have to think about because they're living they're not going into town very much anymore yeah so they don't catch diseases and they haven't been sick with anything yet and daisy is apparently doing okay she isn't eating she still isn't eating in this situation i think i remembered so I read this book when I was a teenager and mm-hmm. I kind of remembered when I was about to start reading it again that they didn't treat the eating disorder stuff the best. But having reread it, I think they do. Okay. Because in this situation, she's still not eating much. Like she kind of acquiesces a bit when like her cousin Piper and Edmund and are just like, can you please eat a little bit? Or it's like, I made this specially. Can you try a few bites? And she like takes a bit, but like still make sure she stays hungry because it's important to her. And it's only when, like, the situation starts spiralling even more. And she, I feel like she takes her, the urge that was driving the eating disorder, gets other outlets. Mm -hmm. And she transfers the behaviours. Yeah. So, like, okay, so the doctor coming was a bit of a turning point. Because he is a responsible adult who's like, wait, you guys don't have an adult here? So some people from the military come round and are like, you don't have an adult here? Yeah. They're like, we can sequester this area for the war effort, please. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what will you do with us, the teens who live here? And they're like, fuck. Okay, give me a minute. And they don't know what's happening. Soldiers are suddenly in their house and they're like, will we make them some tea? <laughs> When, when the plumber came, we made him tea. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll make the soldiers tea. And Osbert is like, I, can I be a soldier, please? And they're like, you're 16. And he's like, please. And he comes around like the next day to the rest of the gang. And he's like, okay, so I'm a soldier now. And so as a soldier, I'm going to have to like get you civilians out of the way. And so Piper and Daisy, the two girls, are separated out from the boys Mm -hmm. and sent to stay somewhere else. And they don't know where they're going. But Edmund is like, take the dog. Because one of their sheepdogs is like really, really, really well trained. Has a psychic connection (laughs) with the teens. So Piper, who is nine, and Daisy, who is 15, are sent off. And Daisy has to take care of Piper and Piper has to take care of the dog. Mm -hmm. And those are kind of the things that psychologically save them from all of the trauma they're about to go through. Because they have a purpose. Yeah. That's fair. But 
before this, of course, the incest happens. Okay. So give in- us the lowdown on the incest that we've been promising our listeners. I'm going to see if I've got any choice quotes. There's also a rumor about a smallpox epidemic. That vaccines. That doesn't seem to make sense, given I think everyone's vaccinated, but okay. So, okay, there was smallpox. But because everything was getting worse by little daily increments, and you didn't know what was true or not true, it seemed easier just to treat this news as another fact of life and nothing in particular to worry about. Wow. Wowzers. Okay, so I think they have about six weeks of being chaotic-free children in the wilderness together. And what they do is incest. (laughs) So I'm trying to find the quote, but there's a bit where Daisy, like... Because, again, she's writing all this after the time. She's like, I was sitting next to Edmund, and I remember thinking about that painting called The Calm Before the Storm, which I think... Is it a JMW Turner where it's like there's a boat on the sea and everything's lovely, but then there's like a, a yellow haze in the background. It's like that's the storm coming. So she's actually like trying to find out about Edmund's powers. So like they're chilling in her room and she's just, they're very quiet and she's like the feeling which has been like in my chest for such a long time now, which. I was telling myself it was just normal cousinly love, but I don't really think I can. So she starts thinking very quietly to herself about it. While Edmund's just sitting there next to her and he like doesn't react. And she's like, okay, maybe I was wrong about the psychic powers. Maybe he is just really insightful. And she feels a little disappointed and a little bit relieved. And she moves on to other things in her head. And he props himself up on one elbow and leans over to kiss her. (laughs) And she's like, but are you psychic? (laughs) So they kiss. Yeah. And she doesn't go into it, but they do seem to have quite a heated relationship. So she, she talks about like, oh, like I was, it was like a new hunger. Like I loved being hungry. And this was this new great hunger because you can never satiate it. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. They hide it from, like, Piper, who is, you know, a child. And Osbert just doesn't notice and Isaac doesn't care. So they just, yeah. So they only got to worry about Piper. Yeah, yeah. Who is, like, this gorgeous, pure little child that they're, like, everyone's like, oh, God, there's a tiny saint in our midst. What do we do? And she does note, like, obviously, Daisy's 15 and Edmund's 14. So there's a quote, I would like to make an important point before this goes any further. That is, if anyone feels like arresting me for corrupting an innocent kid, then all I can say is that Edmund is not corruptible. Some people are just like that. And if you don't believe me, it just means you've never met one of them yourself, which is your loss. wild yeah (laughs) absolutely wild but it's just a non-thing and like i said they then just split off to deal with the war so what happens when they split off so piper and daisy take the dog who i think is called Jin, and they end up they get to travel through a lot of the countryside and this Mm -hmm. is when we 
find out a lot more about the war. And what happened is there is some kind of conflict the other side of the world. Okay. So Britain's main army went to deal with that. And when they were gone, some other force who, again, we don't know. She doesn't care. But who don't speak amazing English mm-hmm. invaded. Okay. And they occupied the cities and the countryside. So it's the reserves army, the like casuals. Yeah. Who are just kind of all the military we've seen so far are actually just the casuals because what they're doing is they're like, okay, we know the military are going to break through soon and they're going to save us. But for now we need to try to keep everyone fed and watered and safe. So they spread this, um, these lies about there being a smallpox outbreak to try to keep people inside. And they set up military hospitals and they try to keep, all the farms and stuff going mm-hmm. so that there's more food yeah so what they end up doing is they're living with i think his he's like a major there's a a dude who is big in the army and his wife who is cuckoo crazy and they go live there and it's near enough to a farm so they're like can we please make ourselves useful so because because they have this amazingly well-trained sheepdog, mm-hmm. they're able to like go to the farm and be like useful and respected and therefore a bit more safe. So Daisy like is picking apples with people and you realize that like a lot of these people's lives have been disrupted hugely by it. Like there's, a, she's, she picks apples with this woman who's essentially a refugee because okay. she's from Manchester, but Manchester was bombed. So she's out here in the countryside helping run the farms and they're picking the apples because there's no, there's no petrol to run the machines that would be able to pick them. So they're doing this all day and like Daisy's kind of like, oh shit, like while we were having our idyllic summer, yeah, all of this shit was happening, but they have this power and respect because of Piper being this beautiful little beacon of ideal hope and joy. Yeah. So like Daisy's very cynical and she's like, okay, so we know that Piper's job is to be a mythical, magical fairy tale creature. And my job is to keep her safe. And she's just really glad that like every single person who meets Piper is reminded of like their little sister back home or their little cousin or their daughter and wants to keep her safe. Any advantage. Uh, Yeah. And Major McAvoy's wife gets crazier and crazier, but everything keeps kind of like at the same level. Like they have to go through all these checkpoints with the like other military dudes who aren't British, but we don't know where they're from. So Mm -hmm. there's this whole standoff and Daisy's like, these guys are too polite to each other because we're in a war and surely they should be meaner to each other. Okay. But then she gets her wish. And it's bad. Yeah. Because a guy who was actually perving on her on the farm, mm-hmm. which she hated, um, starts mouthing off at a checkpoint. Does he get killed? So they shoot him dead. Yeah, it makes sense. And that's kind of like a car crash, I guess. I mean, it's a trauma, all right. It's not a car accident. It's a car on purpose. <laughs> so... He gets shot and then Major McAvoy is like, I must deal with the stress. I must try broker peace. And he's like, hey guys. And he gets shot and killed, leaving in the car two dead bodies 
Daisy Piper, their dog, and one other soldier guy. Okay. And this soldier guy has to go back to Major McAvoy's house and tell his wife, who's getting more and more unhinged by the day, about the fact that her husband has been killed. And also we have to leave right now because there's just been this thin web of tension building and building between the like British reserves and the invasion occupying force. And it's getting worse and worse. And now there has been an outbreak of violence, so we should probably run. Do they run? They run. So they cool. bundle up like a jar of jam <laughs> and like as much like I think they get a compass they have to smash an ornament from the mantelpiece mm-hmm. to get an ornamental compass out of it and they take this woman who's having a full breakdown and her four-year-old child and Daisy's again like okay so I'm responsible for these people and they hurry them out and they end up at like a barn which has a bunch of British soldiers sleeping and again Piper's amazing purity Saves the day a little bit because as opposed to the four year old. Oh no, no it's because it's Piper's psychic powers. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, but I think also the four year old is like crying and nasty, and this nine year old is like a perfect beacon of peace, and she's so stoic and she's dealing so well with all these things. So like all of and these, she picked flowers along the way, and can you believe that she's finding like happiness and joy even under these terrible circumstances exactly so (laughs) it's exactly that and so all these like soldier men just kind of like come up to her and like would you like some of my rations can can i tell you a bedtime story here you guys should sleep in the driest part of the barn and daisy's like thank you very much we will take all of these things yeah but there's one particular dude who they know from the farm who's mm-hmm. there and he's basically like, okay, I can't tell you anything because we're military, but basically like, don't get too comfortable, have your own like idea where you are, um, what is your plan going forward? And Daisy's like, yes, I've stolen this page from an atlas that has a, shows us how to get from here to home because I've been quietly noting the names of all the villages we passed through. So I think we're approximately here and that we want to get back to our house, which is here. But I also remember Major McAvoy mentioned in passing something about another farm because she, she was trying to like wrangle information out of him. And she was like, oh, do you think we could get the other sheepdog? And... He was like, no, I'd say they probably also need someone for herding over at Farm X. And she's like, okay, so the boys and the other sheepdog are over there. So she has a little map and then she has a literal map that she's keeping in her underwear. and She stole a compass and this guy's like, yeah, you you probably want to keep these things with you at all times. Uh, We could be attacked at any time. If things are bad, I'll let you know. Um, And then things get bad and he lets them know. And they sneak out of the barn in the cover of the darkness and they wander through the British countryside trying to find their way home. Very under the Hawthorne tree. Oh, yes. Mm. Okay. How does that go for them? They survive. So they, they get back to their farm? They get back to their farm. But first of all, they get back to the farm where the boys should be staying, where they find a massacre. And that sucks. Has someone died of the family? 
they can't find anyone's faces, but it's very, very vivid descriptions of putrid death. And then they go back to the farm and they kind of exist there for a while and they're just like eating that, like that fruitcake they brought up to the lambing barn when they yeah. were playing pretend survival. Fruitcake will last forever. Yep. Yeah, so they're real happy they have that and like they got separated from the dog at some point and the dog comes back and they get joyously reunited. And then the phone rings and it's Daisy's dad. Okay. And he uses his immense power and influence and privilege to get her brought back to America. Does Piper come with her? No. So what happens to Piper? This Piper just left alone on the farm with the dog and, like, half-eaten fruitcake? Essentially, yeah. They have food. Like, they're harvesting hazelnuts and stuff and storing them up. But, yeah, no. Daisy gets taken out of the country. They... Her official papers are, like, requires immediate medical evacuation. And she's brought to, like, a psychiatric ward in New York where they're perplexed because there's nothing wrong with her and I'm like calling bullshit on that because there's definitely PTSD yeah (laughs) there's a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. but yeah no to her knowledge Piper is just left on her own there's no way to bring letters through there's no electricity I think the occupations technically ended Mm -hmm. really quickly but then the war continues there's no way to travel there's nothing And she has to live in New York. And this is where part two starts. Where. You'll be happy to know she works in a library. I am happy to know she works in a library. I don't even know what questions we have. I don't remember there being a part two at all. Like I don't remember her going back to America. Mm. Well it's really like. It's really like just a holding cell for her. So. I mean, it is actually a description of uh, PTSD because she wrote all of the first section Mm -hmm. in treatment, essentially. And she says, when I go back over my writing now, I can barely read it. The happiness is the worst. Some days I can't bring myself to remember, but I will not relinquish a single detail of my past. What remains of my life depends on what happened six years ago. In my brain, in my limbs, in my dreams, it is still happening. That's PTSD. Wait, so this is six years later? Yeah. So she's 21 now. Okay. Um, She was in treatment. She's living in New York. She manages to waltz into a job in the library without any (laughs) qualification. (laughs) She didn't finish secondary school. But, like, she doesn't know what happened at all. Does she... So, her indifference to, like, politics and stuff makes sense before the war, and it makes sense during the war. Is she still indifferent after the war? No, she knows a lot more about the international situation, but she has no idea what happened to her cousins. Okay, that's fair. She has no idea. But it's, you know, six years after, she just day-to-day attends her duties... And she, like, has some people coming to the library, but it's fairly quiet, which I think is bullshit. Because I think if war broke out and the infrastructure broke down and, like, there was no internet. I mean, it's 2004, so there's limited internet anyway. 
You'd have so many more people going to the library. Yeah, and like even now libraries are not quiet. No. So it would not track for me that they would become quieter. Yeah. She gets a letter from Piper eventually. Okay. Like the the war is officially ended first day the like borders are going to open. She gets a letter from Piper and she also talks about again a thing I've heard a lot about war both from like real life war and from Harry Potter is the idea that people cram as much of their life as possible into the few years they have. Yeah. Because they don't want to miss out mm-hmm. in the possibility of like not having a future. Mm-hmm. And Daisy says it's the exact opposite for her. It's like as soon as she left England, she entered limbo and her life stopped and she's waiting for it to start again. Which is fun because like she was there for half a year. Yeah. But she was also like in war for half a year and then was abruptly taken out of it and did go to like treatment but it doesn't seem like they gave her the correct treatment or like she she definitely processed some of her trauma Mm. but yeah she waited she took a job she read books she filled out ration papers went to her air raid shelter wrote letters and stayed alive that's it she just is in limbo so we don't get to find out what the letter from piper has in it But Daisy immediately travels back to England and the only people traveling are mostly like people from the UK who got stuck on the wrong side of the Atlantic when the borders closed. But it's again, it's like only her father's influence that is getting her back to England so quickly. But she gets home Mm -hmm. and we meet... Piper. Is she still a beacon of hope and joy, but now 15? Yeah. Aww. Yeah, she's 15. She's got a boyfriend called Jonathan, who's training to be a doctor, who is not much older than her. It's just that shit's whatever right now. And we get Isaac, who's actually really come into his own. Yeah. It, I would think that, uh, that a post-war Britain with someone who is able to communicate well with animals and do farm work would be like a one person you want to have around Mm. so he's gotten much better at talking to people and like he hangs out with people a lot more he still doesn't seem to care about them very much but like like you said his expertise and his connection with animals i mean people seek him out from miles and miles around to be like what is wrong with my cow and that gives the, pa- the family some security. Yeah. Between that and their amazing sheepdogs, they're able to have, like, power in their community. Osbert is around, but he moved in with his girlfriend and out, so we don't see him again. And we meet Edmund, who is nonverbal, V-traumatized. There's a garden, which is the manifestation of his trauma. Okay. Where... It's the only thing he does is keeping this garden and like, like we learned from Piper, like, you know, he came back and he was so broken and he's still so broken. And the thing is, he was psychic. Yeah. And he has... So like, Isaac was also psychic, but kind of focused on animals and yeah. animals be having a bad time, but not able to articulate it the same way as humans yeah and wasn't he present for a literal massacre yeah that's the thing like it's never edmund never says it mm-hmm. but daisy's like 
oh, you were here, you were there when the farm was massacred. And Isaac kind of confirms it where he's like, I, we knew it was going to happen because of their very vague, non-concrete yeah. powers. So like we could tell that the massacre was coming. And I was like, come on, Edmund, let's go hide in the woods. And he was like, I have to try save these people. And he's like, you know, people never listen to us about this stuff. That's why he doesn't bother talking to people about it anymore. And Edmund was like, but I have to try. And Isaac's like, well, I left for the woods. And he tried. And I found him again. I brought him home, but... He's having a bad time. Yeah, and it's been six years. And this is why I'm like, well, Daisy did actually get some treatment. Because <laughs> she is functional. She's not great, but she's functioning. She is functioning. Hmm. Does her return help him? Or is it just like having just like another person on his side is good? It, it does and it doesn't. Like, eventually he talks a bit. But the end of the book is very much like... You know, the how I live now, mm-hmm. taking after the title, is we are all traumatized from the war, but we've all fought our way back to the people we love and the place we need to be. And we're all helping each other heal and recover. Like, I don't, it doesn't seem like they have a physical relationship. Definitely not as much, but they like, it's kind of like when you've got a, um, it reminds me very much of a family member who has like, alzheimer's or something where like you just sit with them and like be present with them and like wherever their mind is at like you try connect with them there but they're not going like they're they're going to have a really limited capability to deal with today what's happening today and what's new in your life so it's kind of like edmund's slowly healing but he's still in that kind of space i feel like the people i feel like having someone who is dedicated to being present would definitely help him. It does. As opposed to like Isaac who is present but focusing on other things and Piper's the same. Like she's focusing on her boyfriend and her own life. Mm -hmm. Whereas Daisy has just upended her life. So she's like, I got nothing to do Mm -hmm. but sit here with you. Mm -hmm. And at the start she gets like frustrated because she like, she's like, I came across the ocean. I pulled international strings to be on the first flight coming out of the US to the UK. I fought so hard to be here and you're ignoring me. And it takes Isaac being like, like he's forgotten how much you care about him because when someone you care about and desperately need just isn't there, it's it's easy to blame them instead of like, and even on an emotional level, you'll mm-hmm. probably feel rejected by them. Even if as a concrete human being, you're like, you didn't have a choice. Yeah. You, the situations took you away. Mental illness does not allow for logic. Yeah. Okay. Any other themes and stuff you want to talk about? It reminded me... A thing that I think is a good discussion point for this book is the Overton window. Mm-hmm. So for listeners... Everything gets pulled to one side. Yeah. For listeners, it's basically what's considered normal. Like It it applies to political discourse. So the Overton window is when someone says something to an extreme. So if you were to say, we should kill all refugees, that's super extreme. But then the next person... And like everyone like rebels against it. But then the next person comes along and says... We shouldn't kill refugees. 
we should send them back to the countries they're fleeing. And by comparison, that seems reasonable. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the conversation shifts all the way over there because we're not being as extreme as the most extreme, which is to kill people. We're just putting them back into the danger that they fleed from. And therefore, that's a reasonable thing to do. Um, At the moment, a lot of our discussions are being pulled to the right in those ways. But you also have like Bernie Sanders has has moved the Overton window to the left in America in like terms of like healthcare and things where um, six years ago saying Medicare for all, healthcare for all was like an extreme view. It is now the standard within the Democratic Party. And that was what I was really reminded of reading this book because the reason we don't get that much context for the war is because the Overton window just completely contains the idea that there's going to be a war soon. So it just is reminding me of, like, our own turbulent times, I guess. Yeah. And that kind of makes me think of climate change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My dad, recently, I was having a discussion with him about climate change, and he's just like, "Uh, climate change is definitely real, but I've had so many, like, environmental-related crises in my life that I don't think it's that big a deal, and I'm, like, freaking out about climate change. They're all the same crisis, though. They are all the same crisis. But now we're at the new... Breaking point. New breaking point and have to make more changes again. Mm -hmm. But the Overton window for my father has changed where he's like, there's always a climate crisis. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, maybe we should do something. People can get used to fucking anything. Oh, yeah. You can get used to anything. It's... Part of like what makes humans super cool is how adaptable and flexible we are, and it's also part of what makes us the worst ever. Mm. It's a it's the boiling frog. I'm from a place that has an extremely recent history of political turbulence. It's just there in the landscape, and it's very normal, and that's creepy and weird. But that's just because it's not your normal. True. And it just makes me very aware that, like, in our society, I feel like there are people who don't realize that, like, all of the democratic institutions we've built up, we've only built up because we've agreed that we're going to build them up instead of violence. <laughs> and the democratic institutions are good because they present, prevent the violence. And I don't like the violence. Violence do be bad. Mm, mm. It leads to cousins kissing. It yes, po- that is the true horror <laughs> of of war is yeah. that cousins might kiss. Yeah. Okay, we need to wrap this up. <laughs> Very fair. Um, okay. Highlights, lowlights, sidelights. I feel like I I liked Daisy's tenacity, but I really wish I'd seen more of like the psychic stuff because that was kind of the highlight for me. It's vaguely implied at a certain point that she is also psychic. Okay. Because, so it comes from the moms. Clearly. Yeah, she 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 has psychic powers, and also when she and Edmund are separated originally, she's able to spend time with him, where it's essentially kind of like meditation, where they can just kind of reach out and like bask in each other's presence. And part of the reason she gets really freaked out, kind of when they get when she finds the um the fire the massacre is she's like i'd i'd been really reluctant to acknowledge that i hadn't felt him in a while oh so she thought he was dead but turns out he's just completely closed off from the world 
But highlight is the psychic stuff and the war stuff, and I wish there had been more of that. Low light is the writing style isn't amazing. I didn't mm-hmm. love it hugely. What, the first novel as well, though. What doesn't help is I told a friend of mine that I was going to read this book, and then I like left it on the kitchen table and went upstairs to get something and I came back down and she said why is this book written like it's a stand-up routine <laughs> so I had and you couldn't get that out of your head yeah because it is like you your reading of this book has been highly influenced by other people because you said you were going to read this book and I was like ugh, cousins kissing and then Michelle, you told Michelle you were going to read this book and she was like it's a stand-up routine and you haven't been able to yeah. let either thing go an example of the writing style that is like a standard routine is I'm coming off this plane and I'll tell you why that is later and landing at London airport and I'm looking around for a middle-aged kind of woman who I've seen in pictures who's my aunt Pen. The photographs are out of date but she looks like the type who would wear a big necklace and flat shoes maybe some kind of narrow dress in black or grey but I'm just guessing since the pictures only ever showed her face. Yeah, that's definitely a stand-up routine kind of thing. But also, if you're talking directly to a person, it always sounds like a stand-up routine. Like, maybe she's just Depending from New York. Depending on tone. Maybe she's just from New York. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, cool. I'd say sidelights then are probably also the psychic powers because it's sticking with me where i'm like please tell me more so you just really like the concept of psychic powers yes i have a ya podcast kira cool i enjoyed i enjoyed hearing about this book a lot more Mm. than i remember reading about it um Mm. it makes me be like maybe i didn't give it the proper proper justice well i have two copies if you want to borrow i'm not gonna read it again now that i've but um i will continue to think about how Saoirse Ronan signed on to do a radio play and a movie about cousins loving each other. Yeah. And I know that that's not the central point of the book. Like, it isn't, it isn't. But I'm also because like... the central point of the book is, like, the love these people have, like, keeping them together. And some of that love is cousin-kissing love, so. Yeah, it haunts me. Mm. I'm sorry, friend. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. So Kira's vaguely haunted by this book. I am probably not going to think about it super much. And in two weeks, we'll be back with another book that will haunt us momentarily. Yes, that is. That is God, this... that's so fucking dark. It's making me think all this great Gatsby, like onwards we forge, like barreled back by the tide stuff. It ma- it's making me sad that we've already done a book about a person being haunted and that the next book is not about that because mm. that would be a good... What book did we do about people being haunted? Tuesdays uh, are oh, just yeah. as bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. About a boy being literally followed about by his own ghost. I do really like that book. The great thing about this this podcast is I can essentially double the number of books that I've read because... <laughs> I don't actually have to read the ones you tell me about, but I know enough about them now to get on in casual conversation if someone else has read them. And that, dear listener, is the service we're providing to you. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks when I will be reading Every Day by David Levitin, which I'm currently reading and it's very cool. Mm. And I'll talk to you more then. Follow us on the socials. Yeah, we are on almost everything. Thanks to everyone who's been engaging with us on Twitter. Like at the time of recording, we've just uploaded our like 
Pride Month episodes and we've got really good engagement from them. I'm glad you guys enjoyed them, particularly Dreadnought, which seemed like a, a wonderful fun trip. Yeah. Um, so I hope you also enjoyed this episode about a book that was much less fun of a trip. <laughs> um, everyone have a good time. Mm-hmm. We'll see you all soon. Bye. In your ears. We'll see you in your ears. We'll peek in there. Disgusting. In your earbuds. No. Are they in there right now? Goodbye. Can you Goodbye. Fe- Can you feel us wriggling? Oh my god, I hate you. <laughs>